Welcome to the Paragold Podcast. This is Jerry Pickney, and I am joined today by Frank Williams, who has uh, become a friend of mine. He's also the owner, operator of Scatter Creek Berries and Produce, and he is a nurse and ethicist at the Elvis Presley Trauma Center in Memphis in the Trauma OR. Frank, say, thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about your story. Uh, how did you, you know, where did you grow up at and kind of how did you get to where you are today as far as the owner-operator of Scatter Creek and okay. also serving at the Elvis Presley Trauma Center, which seems like a completely yeah. different type of job. Well, I'll make it kind of quick, I guess. Um, I was a Navy brat. Um, by the time eighth grade rolled around, I had been to 11 different schools. Um, Learned to make friends real easy. My dad retired out of the Navy. We moved back here. He grew up in Beach Grove. My mom was from Manila, uh, Arkansas. So moved back in eighth grade. Loved, went to Green County Tech, loved it. Uh, met my wife when she was 15 and a half. We were high school sweethearts. Hmm. Uh, we both went to Arkansas State University. Um, I later went on to Southwest Missouri School of Anesthesia. And um, after that, um, she was a nurse. Um, we have two boys, uh, Jimmy is our oldest, and he has uh, his wife, Holly, and they have two children, and John's our youngest, and his wife is Lakin. He's the assistant director at, of the Honors College at ASU, and Jimmy is an agronomist. He's got his degree in agronomy, and he's a crop consultant and then helps me on the farm. When it's the boys useful. were young, I'm so good. Oh, so that's useful. Yeah. When uh, the boys were young, got them involved in 4-H, which is a great program for kids. Uh, it's not just agriculture. They can do anything in 4-H. Uh, start showing cattle. We raised cattle for several years, maybe about 20 years. Um, my dad got in poor health. My boys grew up, and it wasn't cattle wasn't fun by myself. So <laughs> I sold them, started riding my motorcycle more. And the way we came about with Scatter Creek Berries is I was my wife wanted a few blackberry plants. I was planting 10. Jimmy came up one day, and when I was planting those blackberries, and he said, what are you going to do with the farm, Dad? I said, I guess keep it bush hog. He said, let's have a blackberry farm. And that was like April. Back when, when was that? What year, probably? 2012. Okay. Yeah. And uh, so he went and bought 100 plants locally. Uh, didn't know anything about it. They survived the summer. We planted our first 1,200 that fall. Um, and we kept planting over about four-year period. We, at one time, we had almost about four and a half mile a row of blackberries. And wow. we started to, we grew some produce. And we went to the farmer's market ASU one time. And I thought, man, that was easy. You know, so like 100 bucks worth of produce. So we thought, well, we want to ramp it up a little. And then uh, my son wanted to uh, get into strawberries. So we did filled strawberries. Uh, next, we came along, we did the high tunnel strawberries. It's hydroponic and grown in coconut core. And so that's how the farm got started. Um, at work, uh, I'm a CRNA at the Elvis Presley Trauma Center. I uh, started there in 20. Uh, in the year 2000, January 2000, I, w- I was a nurse here in Paragool uh, in the 1980s, went to anesthesia school, come back, worked in Jonesboro as a CRNA, and a couple years here in Paragool, went back to went to Memphis so I could be home more with my family. Um, and I've been doing 20 years of trauma anesthesia. Well, this is my 21st year now of trauma anesthesia. Wow. You know, some interesting cases. It's an interesting, interesting place. Man, I bet. That's uh, a little bit different feel, probably, I'm guessing, than what you had here and when you're working, I guess, in this area. Yes. Uh, Paragool, you know, was a lot of just uh, general surgery, uh, pediatrics. Uh, St. Bernard's, I, I did cardiac anesthesia for the hearts. And uh, 
and along with you know OB and stuff like that. But I I was on the Hart team in Jonesboro. Enjoyed Hearts, but they they eventually get a little boring. You know? <laughs> but when Does I was, it get boring at the Travel Center, no. Um, it really doesn't because we've gotten so busy every year. It's gotten busier in the 21 years I've been there. It's really, kind of, it's what's every that about? Year. More violence, more violence. You see it day in, day out. And, um, it's getting it's, it's more, there's more violence in Memphis now than there was when you started in the surrounding mid South area. Yeah. Just Arkansas. Yeah. It's Arkansas, Mississippi, Southern Boot Hill. It's amazing. Uh, it also, uh, Arkansas passed a, I think it was a tobacco tax a few years ago. And so they now made Elvis Presley Trauma Center a regional one as part of the uh, trauma system of Arkansas. So we cover the eastern part of the state. So in Mississippi is also putting in funds too. So you know we're also collecting more patients because you know the states are willing to pay. Um, so we can't refuse, or they never did refuse, but you know they're more apt to call us. What is the uh, majority? I mean, is is there is there one type of trauma that you see more than another? Uh, probably motor vehicle accidents. Okay. Um, uh, people were surviving. Uh, people used to think that, you know, if you were in a car, if you were driving a 63 Plymouth, you're driving a tank. They're actually more dangerous. Um, automobiles are designed to absorb energy now. They're designed to crumple, uh, to absorb that energy so it's not transferred to the body. Uh, so now we have people surviving horrific uh, accidents uh, because of the cars are better designed, airbags, seat belts. And so they're surviving horrific injuries than they used to. Used to, they, we had people come in with both legs, I mean, the distal, uh, uh, the lower legs, the femurs, the upper arms, all broke. You know, 40 years ago, they wouldn't have survived the accident to begin with hmm. because of the design, safety designs in the vehicle. So things have just changed, it's gotten busier that. And, of course, we get our fair share of gunshot wounds, stabbings, uh, lots of them. How many uh, gunshot stabbings do you probably see a year? Oh, and in a year, I don't know. Um, it's not unusual. It's not unusual at all to see ten or twelve in a day. Um, Jeez. Memphis in twenty sixteen, I believe the murder rate set a record at two hundred and thirty. Was the murder rate? Uh, twenty nineteen is had dropped down to like I think it was one ninety. This year it was three hundred and thirty two in twenty twenty. Wow. What yes. do you think that was about? I have no idea. It's. I don't know if it's COVID related. I, I mean, I have no idea. Um, it's you know, I love my job. Uh, it's, it is, I guess you can say, exciting. Um, I I feel challenged, mm -hmm. but I'm to the point where you know you get kind of tired of it. You know, I've had a lot of young men over my career die in young women, but mostly mostly young men um, die in the operating room or in the shock trauma room when we're up there. Um, I've had hundreds die in front of me. And, you know, I've always wondered, I thought, I wish I could ask them, was it worth it? Because majority of it, a big majority of it is drug alcohol related. So, so sad. Yeah, it is. How do you deal with that? Because uh, I'm guessing, I mean, you're around death how often? Almost daily. Almost daily. Yeah, sometimes two or three a day or one a day. Sometimes you won't see one, but, but yeah, it's not. Very regular, though. Very regular. And that's, I mean, you know, there are some people that go through their entire life. And possibly like not see someone die in front of them, right. and you see it regularly. So, how do you deal with that psychologically? Like, does it affect you emotionally? Have you figured out like at one point maybe mess with you more than it does now? I guess the way I've learned to handle it, I would say would be um, I feel like I'm there to hopefully help. Um, I, you don't ever get used to it. 
I get more frustrated and aggravated and almost mad because yeah. it's happening. Yeah. You know, because I think I, my boys were younger at that age, you know, and even at the age they are now that we get those ages in. And you just think, again, you want to just slap them. Is it worth it? Was it worth it? And Because uh, none of these young men, and mostly of them are young men, uh, wanted to grow up and die in a trauma bay or in the trauma war from a gunshot wound or a stabbing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they wanted to be ball players, president, mayor of the city, or anything, NASCAR driver. You know, they had dreams, but no, nah, it's just a wasted dream. It's a wasted life. Todd Stovall, the chief of police, uh, he came in, uh, I guess it was last week, and we'll release his episode at some point, but um, he was talking about how the crime in our city, I can't remember, Bill, and you might remember the exact stat, but it was something like, like, oh, like, I want to say it was like, he said like 99.9% of the crime in our city was committed by probably like, you know, 4 or 5% yeah. of our population. And he was talking about how you will have, you know, at times even in jail, granddad, dad, yeah. and son. And it, it's just sad because when you talk about these what were young boys yeah. or whatever man who died in front of you like yeah they wanted at one point like it'd be great they want to make their life count but man like there's there's some generational issues mm-hmm. that just are so hard to break out of right you know I, I, I'm 60 years old I grew up you know in the 60s and 70s and I remember you know the mantra drug sex rock and roll we ain't hurting nobody we're just if we hurt ourselves so what bull hockey they, they destroy families it destroys families it destroys relationships yes um, so I, I know it's a multifactorial problem, and I don't know how our society will ever correct it. I really don't. Um, when it's multi-generational, um, so in a way, I'm kind of hopeless along that line. Yeah. As a our whole society, but I'm not hopeless when you're trying to reach individuals. Yes. You know, I, that's I, the key. I've had these young men ask me to pray for them, and I and I will. And and the, I remember one. Um, one probably one of the most interesting cases I probably did there that to me was a miracle. Um, and his mother was their prayer warrior for him, but uh, he was like 25, 26 year old. So I think it was 2005, 2006 on Easter Sunday. Oh, wow. About supper time. This man, this guy came in, he had been shot through the pelvis, got both femoral arteries. He had been down for over like 33 minutes when he came to the trauma bay. I mean, no, no pulse. They were doing CPR. So it's not like his heart had stopped from blunt trauma or a bullet. He had bled out. So he had no blood in his body, basically. They were doing CPR. I secured the airway. I went and set up my OR. And the trauma surgeon was George Mace, tremendous surgeon. And I set up my room in the OR, go back. It's been six, seven minutes. And they finally got a main, what's called a cut down. They had to do a cut down in his femoral vein to be able to give him some products. And uh, so the, I remember Dr. May says, let's give him two units and around epi, see what happens. They get a heartbeat. So we go to the OR. I gave him over, I think it was like 50 or 60 units of blood plus FFP and other stuff. Uh, and got his, what's called the iliacs and also his femoral arteries. He should have died. And... Uh, the next morning, uh, when I left at 7, I went over there. He was very stable. I went back the next morning when I went back from my next shift. He was awake, alert, and oriented. Jeez. He shouldn't be. And he, I mean, he had CPR for a little over 40 minutes with no blood volume. Medically and, speaking, it shouldn't have happened. No, he should be dead. He, sh- he should at least be brain dead. And uh, George Mace, uh, he's now in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And the other day, 
you know, on these Facebook things, you know, and he said, uh, write down something that, uh, that's fond memories of me and you, if you remember me. And I said, Easter Sunday, 2006, he goes, I remember it well. And he'll admit it's a miracle. He can't explain it. And uh, so I talked to that young man afterwards and told him, you know, you don't need to, you know, you should never be in this situation again. You should mm -hmm. be dead. And, and his mother, she, I, godly woman had to be because I talked to her several times and she just talked about prayer, prayer, prayer. And I never knew what happened to him. I know he went back for a checkup in uh, the doctor's office because Dr. Mace told me about it. But, you know, I've often wondered, did he learn his lesson? Yeah. You know, he did lose a leg. But, you know, that didn't, that uh, losing a leg doesn't stop a lot of people. Sure. But I've always wondered what happened to him. And I'm hoping maybe that was the one that made the difference. Yeah. You so. talk about this, like, you're hopeless when you think of, like, or you've given up hope, with, like, as far as, like, we can just eliminate this you know, this nonsense with like, right. the drugs and violence mm -hmm. as a whole because, right, I mean, but the individual, you said, like, man, I still have hope that you can reach an individual, and I think that's what it's all about, and I, I'm all about the governmental programs that we have that help, but, you know, I, I tell people um, the government's not going to be able to fix that mm -hmm. that problem. Like, it really is going to be, like, community-based. Like, it's like here in Paragool, like, we have our own issues, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not like what you see in Memphis, but it's still issues, right? right? And exactly. And if we're going to see, if we're gonna, if we're gonna help, if we're gonna see things change, it's not gonna happen from people in Washington D.C. passing a plan. It's gonna be from building relationships hmm. with people and being willing to sit in with them, and pour into them, and love on them, and provide accountability and support. And that often takes a lot longer because, like you said, you've got generations, generations of this, like these issues. You can't just like meet with this person like for one hour a week, yeah, and think like, oh, if I just do that and I kind of go through this little booklet or whatever, everything's gonna be changed. Like it's more than that, and I think like that's where change is gonna happen. It is. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, I don't think the government will ever be able to legislate morality, intelligence, common sense, or anything. Um, and it, it's gonna have to be at the individual level. Frank, is there anything uh, now that you've been working at the trauma center for all these years? Is there anything that ever uh, grosses you out or takes you back, surprises you anymore? No. <laughs> <laughs> You've seen it all? I think so. I, I used, Up until probably a few years ago, I would still occasionally be surprised, like, how in the world or why, you know? And um, uh, But no, it, it doesn't. Um, I guess I jokingly at work, um, we have a lot of residents, NC's residents, and, uh, and they'll want something exciting to happen. I go, you know, I... I I no longer want it to happen. If it does, I want to do a good job. I want to take care of them, do the best I can. But I said, I'm kind of like B.B. King. My favorite song by him is The Thrill Is Gone. You know, <laughs> So, so um, yeah. no, nothing really surprises me. There was an interesting story that was all over the news um, about a month ago. It's been in the newspaper, so I can talk about it. young man was sledding, and um, they slung him off the sled, and he s slid into a hay spear. On the front of, that you know that uh, it's on the front of a front end loader of a tractor that you can pick up these thousand pound round bales. Jeez, and, you know it's about a four and a half foot, four foot spear. Starts you know about the size of a pencil, and it get up to about the size of a bat, uh, a little bit bigger than a bat handle. Well, it went in his uh, left side, right below his rib cage, and it came out the base of his neck. And he came in awake, and we took him to surgery, and and I didn't do the case, but I helped get it started. But the young man was so composed. Um, missed everything. The spear went through his chest, went 
posterior to the heart, behind the heart, behind the great vessels, chipped off a few transverse processes in his spine, which is nothing, and went out his neck. And um, it was all over news, so I can talk about it. Unbelievable. Yes. And um, uh, can I can I just ask, like, is this a is this this is wrong for me to ask this, but I'm just trying to figure out, like, when if if that happens, how do you how do you how did you get him? Well, freed from the spear. Well, what they did, the paramedics, the rescue, uh, they cut the spear, you know, with a metal cutter. You can't really use a torch because it transfers the heat, but they used a metal cutter, cut the spear off, brought him in, impaled. You never take it out until you get to the operating room. And this is real life. Yeah, yeah. And they prepped it out, and they make a, they made an incision so they can kind of look in the chest as they pull it out, and they pulled it out. Mm, nothing. I bet he didn't lose. <laughs> I bet a couple hundred cc's of blood. It was a, it was a miracle. But uh. Like that was a new one. Yeah, so um, that's the best impaled story I can think of. Because <laughs> I mean, the young man did so well, and you know, yeah, he went home. You know, he had a, you know, he had a major surgery to get over, but uh, but it's because you know they didn't have to really fix much. You know, they had to work on his lung a little bit, but it. Um, What's uh, the longest surgery you've ever had to work? Well, I've actually done twenty four hours of a twenty seven hour. So what was that on? It was a vascular case, uh, multivascular, um, uh, just trying to save a guy's legs. And, you know, a lot of times they'll go in there, they'll uh, do the, a graft to try to get blood flow to the extremities. And it was a trauma patient. And, um, and they'll fail. And just it's the body can have so many things that go wrong, um, even when the surgery is done right, that you can lose flow, it clot again, even though they're on heparin. It's just a complicated issue. And, and, um, Things don't always go smooth. I mean, that's one thing people in America, they think, oh, you know, things don't go wrong. They go wrong, you know. And it's not the cause of the surgeon or the nurses or whatever. Things just go wrong sometimes. You just don't ever know how someone's going to, their body's going to respond to what you're doing, right? Uh, kind of. Um, there's always surprises. Right. Um, the biggest thing in anesthesia is losing an airway. Not able to, you know, when you go to surgery, most time you have a general anesthetic. We intubate folks, put a you know endotracheal tube in their mouth into their trachea. Um, those can be difficult at times, and and uh, and I've never, I've been fortunate, I've never lost an airway, and uh, so that's that's the biggest fear. Yeah, you know, not able to intubate someone and not able to ventilate them, and then you have problems. So yeah, so well, let's transition into something that I'm guessing is maybe not less stressful. But, <laughs> but maybe more peaceful in some ways. Yeah. Um, let's come back home here. Yeah. And you are living out in Beach Grove, mm-hmm. right? That's where Scatter Creek mm-hmm. is. Um, tell me about the, the operation there. I know you said you started with the berries. When you started, did you know anything about berries? No. <laughs> Except what I knew from, uh, well, put it this way, very little. You know, I, I, my parents always would have a garden when they could and, and I picked wild blackberries, and so I really didn't know much about the tame blackberries. Uh, but, I mean, there's a lot of information out there. The University of Arkansas is the premier breeder of blackberries. If it's got an Indian name, if it's the variety that has an Indian name, it's from the University of Arkansas, and they have others. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of information out there you can read and learn real quick, and you learn by mistakes. Yeah, you can't be afraid to fail, I'm guessing. Mm, no, we've done that. <laughs> Yeah, that happens, I yeah. guess, probably still happens some, right? Oh, yes. Um, well, for example, on our strawberries, we we only, we only didn't get quite the yield we wanted last year. And uh, 
and we well, there was such a, a demand, but we had, I mean we had good yields, but not where it should have been, where we hoped to be. But the way we're growing our strawberries in, or they're in the ones in the tunnel are in bags of coconut core. It's called um, core bags. Uh, it's basically a hydroponic system. Um, there's when we first started, the guy told us there's about 100 acres in the United States that's grown that way. Uh, it's relatively new in the states. Mm. What do you uh, mean hydroponic system? Well, it's we have to provide all the nutrients through the water. I mean, they get no rain. Uh, the bags are just dry cocoa core. We have to keep them moist with the irrigation, uh, with the irrigation sp- uh, spikes or stakes that go in the bags. And so every time they water, you know, right now we're watering them, I think, three times a day for about four, four and a half minutes. And we have chemical injectors, which are for fertilizer, our mm-hmm. fertilizer injectors. They pump the fertilizer. You have to be, you have to measure that. You have to measure what's called EC and your pH and stuff. And you have to, anytime the water's on, you're fertilizing. And so you're giving them just the what they need, and without giving them too much water. And uh, but you, at the same time, you got to give the right amount of water. So um, it's basically like growing any plant in water. Uh, some people use uh, different substrates. It can be rocks. People can grow plants and rocks with you know with the waters there. Um, hmm. Uh, but there's no soil. The soil has no nutrients. The cocoa core has no nutrient value whatsoever. It's just a uh, a means to hold the roots. Mm-hmm. And so then the then we uh, use water and the fertilizer to keep them going. So how um, I know you said you started with how many? You said at one time you had four miles. Uh, and on the blackberries, we had up like oh, four blackberries. and a half miles okay. of blackberry linear so feet of row. How much how how much property or how much space are you actually farming now? Well, um, we kind of rotate. We're probably using a total um, of everything, probably about 12 acres, I would say, maybe 15. Now, we've got about, uh, we started some Christmas trees, so we, we'll be having, end up having about six, seven acres of Christmas trees before it's over with. Oh, wow. You when know, will those be ready? Uh, probably another two and a half years. So, and you know, we're growing Leland Cypress, which is a fast growing, but um, they're the most popular in the South. They yeah. grow well. You know. But um, uh, but the strawberries, like I said, now the field berries are grown in the dirt. So it's but the ones in the tunnel are hydroponic, and uh, we can grow. Those tunnels cover a third of an acre square foot wise, but we can fit like three fourths of an acre of berries, a little over three fourths of an acre, in the tunnel because we have them on racks. You know, they're in a pyramidal shaped rack, uh, running three hundred feet long tunnels. And how so, many people are working with you? Uh, my wife. Uh, Jimmy and myself, um, my youngest son, will, he'll help us some when he can, but uh, we have a couple young boys who help us, um, and then we have some ladies who help pick, and they've been with us for, I guess, five, six years. They're very good, and uh, they help us out, and uh, it's hard to find good help. Yes, it is. It really is. Especially when it's manual labor. Yeah. What is your um, biggest moneymaker? Probably, uh, if if you, if we have a good year, it's probably the strawberries. Okay. Um, and just because the demand is more, we have a good demand for blackberries, but um, uh, volume wise, we can we can move more uh, strawberries. And then pumpkin season is a very good season for us. Yeah, man, y'all, uh, you started doing. Um, I don't know if you did last year with COVID, but y'all started doing a showing yes, at your did. place. Mm-hmm. I went out there with my family before I knew you, mm-hmm. and uh, that was a great setup. Bill, they set up this. Well, I'll let you tell it, Frank. Oh, Explain well, what y'all do. We have an inflatable screen. I think it's twenty foot, and uh, we show we try to show family friendly 
Halloween movies. Uh, I think like you did like Hocus Pocus yeah. and like Charlie Brown. Yeah. yeah. The Great Pumpkin away. Yep. In the pump, at the edge of the pumpkin patch, right by the gate going into the pumpkin patch. And uh, we don't charge anything because, you know, it, it's very expensive to, uh, if you want to charge, I mean, we'd have to charge to get our money back five, six bucks a person. We don't want to charge. And uh, so as the years gone by and it's gotten popular, we've, We've got corporate sponsors or, you know, small businesses would sponsor a night because it's like $500 just to get the license to show the movie. And if we charge admission, then they get like after the, they get their $500, I mean, they get like 80%. I mean, you just, it, it's not, and we don't want to run off customers. And, um, and it's fun. That's our fun time of the year. We enjoy it a lot. And uh, so um, I think cross-custom siding and uh did it one year there's and there's a couple i, I shouldn't said that because i'm going to forget the others who have done it but, <laughs> uh, but there's some small businesses who will sponsor a night we always sponsor a night and and the movie's free and we take donations and they popcorn out there I think. yeah we do have popcorn and we do now we do sell the popcorn but it's mm -hmm. from the movie theater we buy yep. it already boxed and uh we put out a bucket for um and a big basket for uh, food donations to the northeast arkansas food bank um and usually we'll get I think four to six hundred dollars in cash and then a bunch of cans and of food, and we donate that to the food bank. How do you get to work that? Um, my my son, my wife, <laughs> me, my my other son, his wife, and and Jimmy's wife Holly. The she'll usually come out, but you know they'll come out and help, and and usually we'll have one of the boys help us. Yeah. And, uh, um, so, Why did y'all decide to do that? Because it's, it's really cool. Well, I think it's because. Um, there's competition in Northeast Arkansas, and we try to find a niche that would help attract people to come mm -hmm. out and maybe want to buy the pumpkin. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, um, we didn't want to charge admission to the farm. We're not a that kind of farm. We're we, you know, yeah, we're hoping to have a hayride this year. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, COVID didn't allow it last year. I mean, it's something like that. But we want people to come out and have fun, and we want them to buy pumpkins. Sure, you know, uh, I'm not going to charge admission to the farm. Yeah. Um, um, you know, we might charge something for the hay ride because I have to hire someone to run the hay yeah, wagon. Yeah. But we just want people to come out and have a good time and buy our pumpkins. And How many pumpkins y'all use to grow? Well, last year, I guess, is total probably about five, six acres. Uh, Which but produces, like, probably how many pumpkins? Oh, Lordy. Um, uh, I, my son could probably tell you, probably average a plant uh, pumpkin and a half per plant. Mm -hmm. Some of them produce more. Uh, but you get probably, five acres of plants. Yes, and uh, then there's some specialty pumpkins that we uh, had another field that's a little smaller, um, and we're renting uh, about five acres because we want to. He wants to try sell some wholesale, which we did, and uh, um, this past year, and because he, he wants to turn it into his full time business, so we're going to plant it some additional acreage this year just for wholesale. And uh, how do people buy your stuff? Do they you just if they're going to buy from y'all? I guess it's a farmers market, and then y'all have time should people go out and. Buy yes. from the farm. Uh, of course, we go to ASU Farmers Market, and we've come to the Paragool. Um, last year, um, with COVID, of course, ASU opened late, and Paragool didn't have one. But we were so busy on the farm. I'm not. We only went to the Jonesboro two or three times because we couldn't grow enough stuff. I mean, it was set flying off the farm. I'm, it was unbelievable. Why and, do you think that was last year? I guess people were looking for something to do, and okay. and. Um, our first day, we were the first day ASU opened. We had also planted a hundred baskets of what's called morning bells, and a beautiful hanging basket of flowers. 
And the State Farmers Market Association announced that you could sell potted vegetable plants or cut flowers, but you couldn't sell a potted flower. Hmm. So we had raised all these baskets. I thought, oh, no, what are we going to do? So we just opened up the farm like we normally do for pick-your-own, but we didn't even have the pick-your-own. We just opened up for the flowers, strawberries, and a little bit of produce we had that early in the season. We had them lined up on the highway. It was Really? We sold out um, strawberries by, I think, it's 10 o'clock, and we hated it because there's so many people who didn't get strawberries. And But we sold all our baskets. So, uh, yeah, sit at the grocery stores at all? We do, but last yeah. year we didn't have any. I mean, okay. everything sold off the farm. Hayes has been real good for us in, uh, in Harps and Jonesboro. Um, but that's why after this year, you know, we always set up underneath the canopy at the farm. But after this year, that's why we decided to build a farm store. And we're op- hopefully we're going to open it April 10th. Oh, nice. And uh, it's been a lot of work. What's uh, the farm store going to consist of? Well, we're going to have anything that we sell. My son's, you know, starting to do lettuces and um, bok choy, you know, just different stuff like that, some greens. And then the typical um, – Produce we grow, purples, green beans, squash, you know, just you name it. You can it. go buy all the fresh stuff out there. Right. And um, we still want to go to the farmer's markets um, so we can reach the folks. But we wanted to make the farm store kind of center on Arkansas products. So we've, uh, like in uh, Melbourne, there's a company called Townsend Spices, and we're going to sell their spices. They're, from, they're an Arkansas company. Great Our spices, store. by the way. Oh, have you had, yeah, 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 I'm from good. Melbourne, and oh, yeah. they're famous, all right? Oh, yeah, they're Everybody good. Everybody loves those spices. We love them. I know nothing about them. Well, yeah. you need to try them. Yeah, they're really good. I will. And uh, then there, we found and we we found a company in Arkansas who does the best pickles and sauce. Now, we really like it, and their bread and butter pickles are wonderful. But they'll even put our label on it, but we felt like, no, we want your label. If we don't grow it, we don't want to put our label mm-hmm. on it. So we're going to have their, their stuff that's really good, and... Um, then we're going to have some Arkansas specialty rice, uh, like basmati and jasmine from a company. That's great. Um, uh, some local beef, um, Newman pork up around Myrtle, Missouri, right on the border. So you're putting a refrigeration system in there now? Yeah, we've got two. Um, we just moved them in today. I've got to get up there and look at that. We still have to finish our walk-in cooler. Um, but you know, just stuff like that. Now we found a walnut supplier. But they're out of Missouri, but they have walnut products, and but black walnuts. And, um, and then Dodd's uh, Pecans, which is local. Um, so we're trying to keep it in Arkansas. And there's two, three things that might be from Missouri, but they're somewhat local. And um, uh, we just want to kind of highlight it like that. So. I love it, man. Yeah. Uh, what are you most proud of when you think about everything you guys have accomplished uh, with, uh, with the farm? Well, I, since you said the farm, I, I would say um, – I guess surviving this far. <laughs> when you were talking about just, I was going to say, well, my family. That's what I've always been proud of. Yeah, uh, my you kids. You talk about them, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, everybody talks about their kids, but, you know, that's how my father-in-law, I used to joke, he always, he, he, he grew up very poor and, and through the Depression, and he always thought, you know, what you had in the bank was really kind of a measure, I kind of, you know, and he was a good Christian man and loved him to death, but... I always felt, I'd always have no, I said, my most valuable assets is my wife and kids, you know, mm-hmm. so that, that's, everything else, I, you know, yeah. it happens, it happens, but wife and kids, that's it, so. Yeah, but, that's uh, cool, man, I can tell family's a big deal to y'all. It is. And y'all are close. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we are, and so I feel blessed. So. Yeah, well, if, um, I'll, we'll, we'll end here, um, if somebody is listening to this and maybe they want to try gardening you know obviously that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a passion for me and my wife and 
I think the world would be a better place if everybody had a garden in their backyard. Yeah. Any um, advice as someone who's you know been doing this for a while, obviously a much larger scale, but just someone who's like, man, I just want to start something small enough that maybe I can get a little cucumber here and there yeah. or some tomatoes, whatever. Any advice you give them? Yes, whatever state you live in, like Arkansas, we have the University of Arkansas Extension Services through the University of Arkansas. Tennessee, it's all government. That's one good thing the federal government's done. Um, it's all uh, government funded. It has been throughout history. A lot of land-grant universities, all, they're all connected. But you could probably just Google growing tomatoes or cucumbers in Tennessee, and it'll pop up probably University of Tennessee Extension Service, and they all have all the information you need, the varieties, time to plant. I mean, and just don't get discouraged. You yeah. Know? So don't don't let an insect get you down. <laughs> yeah, there's so much out here controlling there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that's that's the best place to start. And there are some good YouTube videos. There really are. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the universities have the YouTube videos. Uh, yeah. Just be selective in what you watch. Yeah. So. Well, I, I want to thank you for coming on, Frank. It's been awesome getting to know you. Um, you know, Kyle Lane gave me your contact mm-hmm. information, if you remember. And I've, I've told several people, you've always been so generous uh, with your time, uh, with resources. I know that you're mm-hmm. trying to get me to get out there so you can give me something else even right now <laughs> to help me. And so um, it's just been, yeah, it's been a real joy for me to get yeah. to know you and your family and uh, look forward to continuing that friendship and so thanks for making space uh to come on and uh best of luck to you guys man as you continue to expand your operation there our our city our community is so blessed to have y'all yeah, well i tell you that supportive northeast Arkansas has always been so supportive of us and in the good and bad times they but i mean they we, we've been i mean we've really been humbled so awesome well i'll let you get on your motorcycle and head out of here man no, already thanks man All right, so that was Frank Williams. Frank might possibly be one of the most interesting people that I know. I mean, he rode up here on his motorcycle. And then think about this. All in one conversation, Bill, we talked about gardening and gang violence. And he has his hands in both of those. Well, I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't have his hand in gang violence. But sort of he does. Like, people who are victims of gang violence. He has his that's hands true. on them and to he's trying prepare to help, them. Yeah, he's yeah. trying to help them and pull them out. Yeah, that's Quite right. often, too, it sounded like. Yeah, so I'll, I'll stand by my previous statement. So, um, and, and, and I would say if I can use three Gs, gardening, gang violence, and generosity, that's what I think of because I said it to him. He's one of the most generous people that I've met. He's always so giving. He's one to help me out with whatever I've got gardening-related. So, um, Frank, thanks again for coming on. And as always, to each of you who are still listening, thanks for tuning in. Um, if you can, give us a like on iTunes. Or a five-star rating. Or a five-star rating. That's actually... That's actually what they... How yeah, they yeah, five-star rating and a review. Five's better than four. For sure. In that category. Totally. For us. Yeah, give us a five-star rating. That helps people to find us and learn more about the great people living here in Paragould. And um, also, I encourage you to check us out on our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter... Go to our website, paragoldpodcast.com. And if you've not subscribed to our email list, um, we would encourage you to do that. So thanks again for listening. And until next time.